Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyber Labs. And today we're lucky enough to have Brian Hemisath with us. Brian's the Managing Director at the Global Insurance Accelerator in Des Moines, Iowa. And so the, the Global Insurance Accelerator, as you can probably guess, is an accelerator for startups that will impact the insurance industry. So I, I love their focus, and, and their investors are also insurance companies. And they bring over 100 mentors all focused on the insurance industry to members of the accelerator. So it seems like a pretty good idea to me. So before heading up the Global Insurance Accelerator, Brian was involved in a number of entrepreneurial endeavors, which he can share. And I invited Brian on to Flyover to learn more about his background, uh, the Global Insurance Accelerator, and just where he wants to take it. So Brian, thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Definitely. And so, yeah, before we jump into what you're doing now, can you uh, tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, yeah. I'm a native Iowan. I attended Iowa State. University in the late 90s, and uh, my degree was in computer engineering, so I've got a technical background. And for anybody in the technical space around that time frame, it was an exciting time because the dot-com bubble uh, was in full effect, a lot of uh, opportunity and also uh, chances to make your mark, I guess, on that tech world. And and so in uh, 1999, when I graduated, I moved to Des Moines, worked for a couple small companies, and in that bubble burst, that was really Ironically, when my opportunities started to present themselves, I consider myself an accidental entrepreneur and uh, took advantage of the ability to build websites for people. I uh, started my own business in 2001, and uh, my brother and I ran that web development company for about a decade. Along the way, got approached by people throughout my career that had ideas that they wanted something built. And so I, I partnered up with several of those individuals, built a company called Catchwind, which is still around today. Uh, it sends and receives short codes, text messages. And we sold that in 2012, but it, again, it's still here in Des Moines and, and doing well. And uh, another company I helped uh, got off the ground was called Volunteer Local, and it helps events manage volunteers. And today, I'm a, a passive role with that company. There's three full-time employees. A young woman named Keely Williams leads that effort, and it, it's on a really great growth path, and we've got some really cool, exciting customers that use our service. It's a very rewarding venture. And so the the journey through all these startup activities uh, kind of helped build my reputation around Des Moines as a startup guy. And uh, I know we're going to lead into the Global Insurance Accelerator, but I did spend some time at a incubator called Startup City. And that, that opportunity really introduced me further into Des Moines startup scene. So I'll, I'll pause there because that starts to lead into the, uh, the GIA then. Okay, gotcha. And so in your past, you know, was there a, one experience that was especially interesting or a great learning experience for you that you, you look back on? Yeah, you know, there's always several. I think for me, the, the biggest lesson learned was just how to interact with people. I've had several partners through the years and partnerships, some go well, some don't. And I'd like to think that I've learned from each of those uh, on how to work with partners. Uh, how to match intentions and expectations. I'm a big fan of, of those two terms. And as long as two sides of the table have the same expectations and same intentions, great things can come from that. So it's uh, it's mostly been about just the people and communication. 
Gotcha. And and was there one thing in your past where things did not go well, as far as uh you know I don't know if it if it's a failure <laughs> or so so some situation where like wow that 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 did not go well and and this is uh what I learned. Yeah, yeah. There, you know, there's there's a there's a handful. Um, I'll, you know, I'll tell you <laughs> two of them. Yeah. One of them was a startup we had called Notify Works, and it was software for lawyers and all respect to the company selling software to lawyers uh, it's not something i ever really want to do again uh i don't know that that's a that's a definitely a sold not bought category meaning the the lawyers really need to be convinced and i you know we gave it a good nine to twelve month run of trying to sell this software that would help the lawyers understand the content of their contracts so they knew you know, when to take advantage of certain events or when to remind yeah. people of things it was a tickler system with some intelligence built in and uh, we didn't do enough market research. You know, what, what we could have spent on a, a simple uh, launch rock page or something like that for a few hundred bucks, uh, we, we put a good, I think, 10 to 20 grand into the technology, another 40 to 50 into the marketing efforts before we just really found out we didn't have a product that, that they wanted to buy. Um, we did get some early customer discovery feedback that said people wanted this, but, you know, it's, as entrepreneurs know, it's a different deal when you actually go to ask for the money. So, uh, so a good lesson learned there. And then, uh, you know, again, back to that, the partners and the communication, uh, I had partners in the text messaging company and we learned a lot about each other after we'd already gotten into business with one another. And uh, one of the things that I, I now use as a tool set, uh, there's lots of tools for this, but StrengthsFinder uh, 2.0 was a book that I used. It's been, you know, six years now since we used it for the first time. And in retrospect, using a tool like that to understand, again, back to intentions, expectations, communication styles would have saved a, a lot of trouble, frankly, just in, in communications between partners. So certainly some failures along the way, but I'd like to think that's what uh, has prepared me for the role that I'm in now. You can't, can't give good advice about some failures in there. No, that's for sure. And yeah, you sound like an ideal person to uh, run Accelerate with starting multiple companies, which is nice, you know. You, because all these companies come to you as very fresh, and they have all those same people issues and market issues, and you can uh, <laughs> you can share your expensive experiences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's. It's all, uh, it's all about. Oh, it's, it's all about perspective. Now it's it's about being able to apply your experiences where you can, and 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 knowing when you can't as well. I think that's a big part of of being a good mentor is knowing when you should not be mentoring and either pushing that person to someone else or hmm. letting them discover on their own. Hmm. That's interesting. That, yeah, we should, uh, I like to follow up on that a little bit, maybe later. Sure. Well, well yeah. actually we can just jump into that now. Actually, that's a good point. So how, how do you know? Like, I mean, have you, uh, cause that's always a, an issue. It's like, how do you let them learn versus kind of really holding their hands? Um, do you have an example of, where that might have happened with you at the yeah episode. yeah so, so we and we'll we'll get into our program but we yeah. do have a heavy mentor set and we put our mentors through a, a we call it mentor training but I, I'd really call it more mentor preparation I don't know if we we qualify as an official training <laughs> uh, facility but but we certainly get them prepared and and our training is all about getting the mentors who are mostly corporate types into thinking like a startup and and so for the startup people on um, you know that are listening. It's all the things that you live day by day. Things move fast. You're the janitor and the CEO. 
um, understanding the floodplain of opportunity and all the stuff that comes your way and how to focus and filter. So we're, we're teaching these mentors from the corporate world how to think that way and all the things that a startup experiences. One piece that I share with the mentors is knowing the difference of giving direction and sharing perspective. So when a startup comes to you and, and they've got a challenge that they're presented with and they're trying to solve this challenge, you as a mentor have, have a fork in the road to either say, I'm going to give this particular person a direction. I'm going to tell them what they should anticipate and what they should do. And, and that's, that's valuable mentoring, and you should do that when applicable. But there's also a time when you realize, I may be out of my league here. So, for example, I've never raised real, you know, large amounts of money um, for any of my ventures. We've done a, a small seed round with one of them, but we've never really raised big money. And so I will advise as best I can, but there's a point where you have to let go. And what you do is you give perspective. And, and it's to some degree role-playing out the next steps. What are all the different scenarios that could play out from this? Uh, introducing to the right people that will also give feedback. And you're letting that startup at least have all the options presented before them so they can own and make that decision themselves. And so there, there's a, that's the fork in the road is the sharing your perspective of what you, know, you think they should be doing versus actually giving direction. Uh, so that, that to me is an important thing for people to realize. I think we naturally do that, but we may not be cognizant of the fact of, of the two, difference between the two. Mm. No, that's great. You should write a, a small book on that. I mean, yeah, cause I see there's always mentor programs all over the place now for entrepreneurs. And I often wonder if they're getting the right advice. Cause if they don't, a mentor can definitely lead to have you spent waste a lot of time or lead you down the wrong path. And mm -hmm. so that's, yeah, that's an interesting balance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and just to talk a bit about our mentor program, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll oh, yeah. Wait, do, you, do you, do you may want to just detail. give a brief overview on the global insurance accelerator? Yeah. I tried to yeah. at the beginning, but, and then we'll talk about the mentor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yeah. All right. So, so here's the, how you can time me and see if I can get this done. This is about the three minute <laughs> All right. version. All right. <laughs> so I mentioned, I mentioned that I was a resident in an incubator called startup city. It ran from 2011 to 2014. When it shut down in 2014, one of the founders of that incubator put together a white paper that was essentially what he would do differently if he could do it all over again. Hmm. And and it was it was brilliant. It was a great move. He he described an accelerator model. He recognized that the companies coming into the incubator were short on capital. He described a more sophisticated mentor model. And and then the the biggest catch though is that it's focused on a niche market. Uh, I am not from the insurance industry, so I didn't realize this coming in, but Des Moines, uh, Iowa, is home to uh, over 200 insurance companies that are domiciled here. Wow. And then the greater Des Moines area has 60-plus insurance companies headquartered right here, in again, in the greater Des Moines area. So that means two things. One, you have a lot of corporate support because there's a lot of companies here. But two, more importantly, you have a whole lot of insurance workers right here in the metro area. And I'm a, I'm a big believer, after having done this now for two years, that, that niche accelerators um, have a, a tremendous opportunity because of the focus. So, so, that white, so to bring this back, so that white paper was put together. It was presented to the Greater Des Moines Partnership, which would be considered a regional chamber of commerce here in central Iowa. That, that uh, proposition was put in front of a handful of insurance carriers, and seven said yes to the ask of $100,000 $100, annually 
as well as participation from their leadership to act as mentors. So that was the genesis of, of all this, how this came to be back in 2014. So again, just to repeat, you know, we asked our investors for a, a cash contribution of $100,000 per year. And then also then we solicit from their leadership group to, to serve as mentors. The, and so all of that work was done in 2014 before I was hired. They brought me in, uh, December of 2014. Um, I would, I like to point out that we had 60 days until the start date of the class, uh, had been announced. So, oh so I was brought on and had 60 <laughs> days to try to pull all this together. And, and it was, it was fascinating to, to go through this for the first time, but we took the mentor pool from 30 people up to 70. Um, recruited a lot more insurance people, but also recruited designers, developers, some lawyers, some people that make up, you know, other building blocks uh, of that mentor pool. We, uh, we've got a really beautiful space in a part of downtown called the East Village. And we recruited like heck to find startups that were building insurance solutions, which as you can imagine, especially in 2014, that was not a really hot space. And those companies were pretty hard to find. So, um, February of 2016, 2015, we welcomed our first cohort, six companies in all. They each received $40,000 of seed capital in exchange for 6% equity. Um, I helped form the term sheet and, and tried to make it as founder-friendly as possible. We come in at common stock. We don't take a board seat. We've got a, a handful of rights, which none of them are outlandish. So it, it is, it is a, a founder-friendly program. The startups then go through the mentor speed dating process. And so while most accelerators have some sort of a mentor process, I'd like to think we take it to a whole other level because we put our mentors and our startups in one-on-one settings um, across the board, all of them. So the mentor pool in 2015 was about 70 people strong. Now, two years later, we're at 150 and still growing. Wow. Um, we've, we've had the good fortune of, of attracting a lot of great talent. Um, we're now you know, faced with a really good dilemma of how do we how do we manage all these people? How do we onboard them in a way that they still get value? So I think there is a point where it, it saturates a bit, but we, we haven't reached that point yet. So to fast forward to today, we have a hundred or so mentors that are from the insurance space. The other 50 are, again, those building blocks, uh, counting, um, legal design development, things like that. But those 100, 100 insurance mentors all self-schedule over the course of three weeks and give up four hours of their time uh, coming into 2017, because we have eight, eight teams uh, that we plan to bring in. And so they'll give up four hours of their time to meet with each team one-on-one for 30 minutes. And so that happens again in, in weeks two, three, and four of our program. So it's a, it's an incredibly intense networking exercise that is laser-focused on the insurance industry. And I, I don't know of anybody else really in the world that's doing it quite the way that we do it. Uh, we do some prep work prior to the mentor speed dating to make sure the startups are prepared for this. Uh, we had a good lesson learned in year one. We had a company called Pablo, two brothers, uh, great, smart guys, great insights, uh, but they're brothers and, and they'll, they'll ramble on, they'll kind of, you know, bicker even within one setting. So they, they were, you know, they're standard brothers from that, that <laughs> standpoint, but didn't figure out until the mentor speed inning was almost done that they were not effectively communicating what their needs were to their mentors. And so, so their sessions, um, they weren't wasted by any means. They still made an impression, but the mentors weren't leaving the room with a clear sense of how, how they could be helpful. So that was a key lesson that we took away from year one, is that, that we shouldn't assume these startups know how to ask for help. 
Uh, and I think that's valuable for anybody listening on this call. If, if, you know, if you're really good at pitching your startup, that's great. But if you're not at a place where you're just, you know, you're rolling in the revenue and you've got everything figured out, you need to get good at asking for help very specifically and succinctly ask for help. So on uh, years two and looking ahead to year three, we take a few days before the mentor speed dating starts to have our startups meet with what we call advisors. And that whole point of those meetings is to make sure they can give a very, very clear six to eight minute mentor pitch with very, very clear asks and where they think they're weak at the end of that. And that's the that's the core of our program right there, those three weeks of mentor speed dating. Um, we do we do a, a whole lot more, of course, we're a hundred day program. So following the mentor speed dating, we do some light programming. Um, most of the the educational side of it is focused on either very specific insurance topics, such as underwriting claims, marketing uh, within the insurance space, uh, or it's specifically focused on business development and sales. We we have a board chair by the name of Jeff Russell. He's the CEO of Delta Dental, and he will be the first to tell you we are here to build an income statement, not a balance sheet. <laughs> and so that's that's. Yeah, so that, that's his way of, of letting everybody know we're, we're serious about business, we're serious about pilots and trying to create revenue. And our my goal, our goal, is to connect as many of these startups with the opportunities as we can. And so the educational sessions on sales and business development is taking these teams who have probably never had any formal training on sales or business development and helping them understand the key components and, and how to do it. Yeah. Uh, just to close. Oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, keep going, keep going. So, so to close out, then how our program wraps up, uh, traditional to most accelerators, we have our own demo day on day 100. The unique thing about our demo day is that it's tied to an existing insurance conference called the Global Insurance Symposium, which is right here in Des Moines. That symposium was created the year prior to the GIA being formed. So we've, we've been pretty much step in step with it uh, coming up now on our third year, the symposium's fourth year. That uh, symposium is fantastic because it puts 500 plus insurance executives in the room. Um, so all due respect to other demo days, we're not as focused on filling the room with investors. Again, back to that theme of an income statement, we're focused on filling the room with prospective customers. And, uh, you know, the traditional demo day from that standpoint, then they get their seven to eight minutes on stage to tell their story. Uh, we back that up against some breaks so that we can some, do some additional networking. And then, of course, again, there's a whole conference built around everything we do to uh, to attract the, the audience and get them more content while they're here. Yeah, I, I love your focus on insurance. And, yeah, I'm curious if other accelerators will pop up kind of with these uh, particular focuses just because it makes a lot of sense, especially from the, the sales and mentor uh, perspective. Yeah. So there's a so for anybody new to, to the insurance space, insurance space, there is now a, an official hashtag of InsureTech. So we're following along the fintech uh, path, oh, nice. and, and InsureTech, yeah, InsureTech is a real thing. There's uh, so you know, I mentioned back in 2014, it was pretty hard to find companies. Well, just this past October, there's an event in Las Vegas called InsureTech Connect, and I, I think the final tally was like 1,500 people were there from mm. across the industry, both on the startup side as well as the incumbent. So I, I'd like to think the insure tech scene, I just did air quotes, the insure tech scene has arrived at, to some degree and there's a lot of opportunity. So we started our accelerator. We announced it in 2014. Uh, we have since seen a couple other insurance accelerators come to uh, the surface. So Startup Bootcamp, which is based in London, 
they've got accelerators all over the world. They announced their London uh, InsureTech accelerator uh, a year after ours. And then there's a group in California called Plug and Play. And they do it a little bit different than our model, but they, they also have an insurance focused program. So there, there are more resources definitely now today than there were even two years ago for these young early stage companies that are building solutions for the insurance space. Hmm. And I'll, I'll say, I'll say this. There's companies out there that probably are building things that are applicable to insurance, but they just don't realize it yet. And so what I mean by that is, and again, keeping in mind that I'm not from the insurance space, uh, this has been an educational journey for me as well, but um, fraud, cybersecurity, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, these are broad technologies that are pretty cutting edge. There's a lot of excitement in those spaces. All of those things I just mentioned have applicability to insurance. Uh, Internet of Things is, is heavily involved with insurance. And so all of the data that's that's being pushed around needs to be analyzed, needs to be categorized, it needs to be uh, facilitated in a way that can help the insurance carriers do a better job. Uh, one of our startups from 2015 said it best, and again, I, you know, not being from the industry, I didn't realize this, but insurance companies at the end of the day are data companies. If you think about what they're really tasked with doing, the service they provide, they're a data company, and they need to make sound decisions on the data they're given. Cool stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you can it, it stretches across so many different areas, which is uh, which is nice. But then you can you have that kind of sales focus on insurance, which is helpful. Uh, so, yeah. uh, so how do you screen potential uh, companies before they can join this accelerator? Like who's on that kind of screening committee? Yeah. Um... You know, so year one, I told the board we're more beggars than choosers, and yeah. that's not to take anything away from the six companies we brought in, uh, but your odds were much, much better uh, to join the 2015 cohort than they are today. Um, we, we don't publicly release the numbers, but I, you know, I can tell you in 2015, they weren't impressive. No one would have looked at our, our total number of applicants and, and felt we could have produced a, a good portfolio uh, out of that group, but we, we did. And so to answer your question about the process, we have, as I mentioned earlier, uh, originally seven insurance carriers that invested in this program. We added an eighth in year two, and we've added two more now heading into year three. So we have 10 insurance carriers that all contribute 100K a year. Each of those carriers has a board representative as well as a named alternate. So I've got a, I've got a very large but very active and supportive board. Um, they, they are... I. I would call them a, a working board from the standpoint of how responsive they are and how helpful they are, but they absolutely look to me to lead the program. So it's, they've given me a very long leash, and that's, that's a great way to be right now because they are looking for me and the startups to help show them this new innovation. So to go back to the question, each of these uh, companies has a board representative. On top of that, then they're able to name selection committee members. And so I work with the selection committee members during our selection process to analyze and review the applicant pool. We, we do a uh, paper-facing application, or not paper, but an online application that we'll, we'll look at and give it the eye test, see if it, it uh, passes in terms of, is this relative to insurance? Does this count as innovation, which is highly subjective? We can come back to that, too. Um, you know, does this, will this make a big impact on the industry? So a couple of things we're not looking for. We're not looking for new insurance companies. So if somebody says, I want to start a brand new insurance company, we're not a fit for that. 
if somebody says they want to create a new insurance product, and let me define what that means. For if you're not familiar with the industry, an insurance product is your homeowner's policy or your auto policy. So if somebody came to us and said, we've got a, a brand new auto policy that we think is the greatest thing, um, that's not something we would entertain. Now, if they were building an app to help distribute those auto policies or make claims or you know, better support the policy, there is a fine line between the difference of those two those two worlds. But uh, what we're looking for, again, primarily is, is this innovative? Does this help the industry grow? Um, I like to pick on these guys. Uh, so one of our teams from 2016 is InsuranceSocial.media, and they help agents with their social media. They have a platform that can can feed content through Twitter and Facebook and other social measures that can be controlled by the the chief marketing officer. So for for most of us outside of insurance, we look at social media and say, okay, that's old hat. You know, been there, done that. That's uh, we're going back to what 2007 or eight and saying this this is not new, this is not innovative. But the reality is, is most insurance agents are not very good at social media. And there's not a plethora of tools out there to give those CMOs the kind of control they want. So when this company came in and applied, it is absolutely innovative to the industry. So it's, it's uh, again, as I mentioned earlier, innovation is a highly subjective topic. So, you know, you contrast social media with artificial intelligence to help with uh, claims management. And you, you would see those are two very different technology segments. Um, but again, innovative, all the same. Okay. Um, and just to bring it back, sorry, I got a little tangent there. To bring it back to the question uh, about our process, uh, once we've reviewed these teams and they kind of make that first cut, we do video interviews. Uh, we do everything remotely just to level the playing field. And uh, at that point, we're really just trying to get a sense of the team. How well-spoken are they? Can they clearly communicate what they're working on? Um, you know, just all the things that you pick up on from a video interview. Following that, then uh, we're meeting as a group in between each of these segments. So from the, the application, the video interview, additional follow-up that I'm tasked to do, just some additional due diligence, we then come away with our our selections. So it's uh, the, the process still in process, if you will. You know, we, we consider ourselves a startup very much so, and so this is our third year doing it. Um, I, if, I, if I may say, the process went really smooth in terms of working through it. We've got a great group coming in to, to be with us here this spring, and uh, I'm excited about welcoming them to Des Moines. Can you uh, share any kind of lessons learned by what you, how you made mistakes in the first year or two or what, what you've changed since beginning in the selection yeah, process? Um, sure. I, I, I think, and I don't know if I'd call this a mistake, but certainly we're getting better at understanding what it is we're looking for. As I mentioned earlier, we were more beggars than choosers in year one. And so we had, again, but we had some great companies apply. When you look at our model and what we can do with our funding and our mentorship, you, you start to assess how we can be most helpful. And what we found is we can be most helpful when a company has at least an MVP built, something that the mentors can look at, can poke and touch, and start to understand how it would impact them in their daily lives within the insurance world. Contrast that to somebody that's just a concept. So they're a business plan or they're back of the napkin. You know, there's not as much that you can do with a concept as a mentor. You can plan. You can do a lot of spreadsheets of forecasting. You can do some, some whiteboards of product development. But 100 days is not a lot of time. And depending on the complexity of the product, if you're coming in at the concept stage, we just may not be able to help you as much. 
Um, and, and of course, the other end of the spectrum is true as well. If you've developed the product fully and you have a, a handful of paying customers, we also have to assess how helpful can we be. And we don't want to turn this into a business development exercise for a startup. We want to impact the product. We want to impact the business model, how it's going to be distributed into the industry. Those are all things that mentors can help with. And if all that work is done, you know, the mentors are going to come back to me and say, hey, Brian, I can't help that company. They're already set. And that doesn't create a good relationship really for any of us. If, if you if we go back to what I talked about earlier with the mentors being the key to the program, you know, I didn't talk a lot about what they get out of this. And so um, Megan Brandt, who joined, joined me here full-time in October, um, she's director of communications, but I've told her, I said, your, your whole role is, is mentor happiness. We need to make sure these mentors are feeling fulfilled, satisfied with the interactions they're getting, feeling they can contribute. You know, keep in mind with a hundred mentors in only six to eight startups, there's going to be some mentors that don't get the interactions that they wish they had. That's just a numbers game. And so we can't do much about that, but we can be doing as much as possible otherwise to make sure that these mentors are getting something out of the program. So the, um, the, the startups, Frank, <laughs> again, I'm, I'm off on a tangent already. Uh, this, you know, the mistakes uh, really aren't necessarily mistakes, but just more lessons learned about what we're looking for and how helpful we can be. And I think that being, you know, the shortest answer to that is we've, we've got a pretty good handle of the stage of company that is a good fit for us. And, and do you have an example of a portfolio company that came in and uh, kind of their focus and product development kind of changed based on the mentor's, uh, um, you know, advice. And then also, yeah. you know, with that company, you know, did any of the insurance companies work with them and bring them in into their company to test out their product and, yeah, kind of work us through how that kind of all works? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with the 2015 group. Um, I always disclose that I love all my children equally. It's hard <laughs> to, to pick and choose once when we get into talking about them. Uh, but the the best example of a, a, a midstream pivot is a company called DriveSpotter. Uh, Chris, the CEO, joined us, had grand plans to have a uh, wristband of sorts, and he also had a hardware idea around cameras, and it was all about is the driver drowsy or distracted, and what can we do to alert that driver to so, you know, wake up or pay attention. So it was really focused on the driver of a fleet, like a truck. And and he came in with this pitch of mentor speed dating the, the first two days, and no one got it. Um, everything from the arguments of you're trying to start a hardware business with no money, all the way to you know how serious of a problem is this, uh, all the things that emerged in those first two, two days. Well, he came back on day three with a pivot. Uh, he had experience with computer vision, and so he, he learned through some of the mentor interaction that there was actually a need to analyze the road and analyze the video that could be captured off of the dash cam of a truck. So now, where he is today is they are actually a, a search engine of sorts, a, a computer vision company, absorbing the road, everything from potholes to other drivers to the driver's behavior, uh, billboards, you name it. They're able to pull all that information in, and and they you know their um, technology then can categorize that and database that and make it searchable and indexable, and it's a really powerful tool. And all of that came out of the, the direct mentor feedback he was getting in the, in the first couple of days. And uh, I'll, I'll mention Chris has since completed our program, raised a seed round of 750K, and then subsequently went through the Techstars Detroit program, the mobility program. So he's headed down kind of this autonomous vehicle path with the, with 
background in the insurance space because the insurance carriers are very interested in his data and what that can do to help underwrite uh, fleet coverage better. Interesting. And how so, well, how would that his technology help with underwriting? You know, with... Well, and I and I'll be I don't have the the details yeah, of fine. that <laughs> of that question, but in like at a high level, having better insight of driver behavior could be used to help train the, the drivers better, which then creates less accidents mm. and less problems on the road. So some of it comes back to training. Um, some of it comes down to just, you know, I, I assume, the individual fleets and how well are they um, keeping the drivers up to date, how well are they off. And there's other, this is a whole other industry, the fleeting, the trucking world. And there's, there's technologies out there to manage and monitor that. He's putting the technology, though, kind of, again, out on the road and not so much on the driver. So the carrier's taking interest in that. Gotcha, okay. Nice. And the, so, yeah. Oh, we're going to go. I have another question, unless you want to keep going on that. No, go for it. Up to you. Okay. All right. So, what, uh, you know, what are your goals for uh, uh, GIA kind of over the next three to five years? Do you want to increase the number of mentors or the number of companies you bring in? Or, um, yeah, what would be, you know, in five years, what would be, your, be the ideal scenario? Maybe have an exit yeah. or two. <laughs> yeah, exits are good. I think um, if you if you keep in mind, our carriers are not here necessarily for the financial return. You know, for them to take a hundred grand to put into this program versus a hundred grand somewhere else where there's you know a better or guaranteed return. Frankly, um, they're not looking at us as a as a financial uh, gain mechanism. This is this is an investment in their people and the innovation side. So, an exit would help in the terms of validating that we're doing something right, um, that we've created something of value that someone sought out and purchased, but uh, financial ramifications of that are, are less significant. But again, more of a, we could check the box, say, yeah, we created value. Um, as far as where we'll be, the, the great thing about this, again, having this diverse board, um, they it's been fun to work with them because these are corporate types that have built a career at their respective companies and done well. They have never ventured into the startup world. And so I'd like to think the GIA, in some ways, is their first startup. Hmm. And and so we, we talk extensively about all the different opportunities. The fact that we've got a, a good global reach with the startups that we bring in. Uh, by the time we start our third cohort, we'll have brought in companies from seven different countries. So this is, this is exceeding their expectations. And in some ways... Um, not to say we don't have a, a vision for the next three to five years. We're we're watching the market very closely in terms of what the startups want, what does the industry want. Uh, another interesting thing about this industry is that it's somewhat localized on on uh, federal and state laws and regulations. So you know, there's an insurance commissioner for the state of Iowa who's a very active mentor here, and he's a key part of our success because he's able to tell these startups. No, what you're doing is illegal. You need to go change your model. <laughs> I mean, literally, he, nice. he, I call him the dream. Yeah, I call him the dream killer because yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll meet these startups that I like. I love what they're doing, and he'll say that's illegal. <laughs> and so it it helps balance it because we're we're able to pivot. Then you know, it's, it's not just this company's dead. It's just, let's pivot and let's fix this. So the reason I bring that up is there's also a global opportunity for really all of our companies because not only are they coming to us from other other countries to build a, a solution for the U.S. market. A lot of times their solutions can apply other places. And so as we continue to build out our mentor network globally, we have a better understanding of what are the laws and compliance regulations 
in those other countries. So I, I think that's going to be a, a move for us to, to be able to offer these companies coming to us uh, a better reach. And again, if, if you buy into the fact that we're all about the income statement, it, it uh, only makes sense to allow them to expand their businesses outside the U.S. when the time is right. Do you think uh, the insurance companies involved have become more entrepreneurial themselves? I mean, do you see them maybe actually uh, spinning up their own startups and maybe you guys helping or, um, yeah, do you think that's happening at all? Yeah, I don't, I'll start with the last, the last point. I don't know that I see them spinning off their own startups. Now, there is an example of that happening here in Des Moines. Ironically, I just say, you know, I won't see that, but there is uh, an insurance company here. They're not part of our group yet, uh, but they're called Homesteaders Life, and they've spun off a uh, funeral software company to help, uh, I think it's to help funeral directors and, and the funeral process. It may even be a B2C play. I'm not 100%, but so, so there's an example of absolutely of a uh, insurance company spinning off a, a startup. Huh. Uh, I don't see that happen very often, though. I think that's more the exception. What I am seeing is the creation of accelerators like ours. What we'll see is the creation of labs or of, of often called studios. There's a company in St. Louis called RGA. They're the third largest life reinsurance company, if I have my stats right. And they've kicked off RGAX, and it's their own innovation studio. And they're more about the internal innovation. They bring in outside companies that are maybe building things that are relative to their vision or their mission. And how do they essentially purchase those things or work with them to improve RGA? So, so we see, you know, I've seen some of that. Um, I also see there's now, I want to say about 20 insurance carriers, at least publicly known, that have investment arms and are actively investing in startups. Um, Liberty Mutual, American Family, Transamerica, um, Hartford Steam Boiler. There's there's a handful of these companies that uh, have set aside funds and, and they act very much like a VC uh, with the strategic vision to support the insurance industry. Have you guys ever gone out and actively recruited like a certain technology or company saying, hey, the blockchain is really interesting. We really want somebody in our group. We'll go out and try to you know, track down somebody who's kind of starting out or are you guys more, um, just see who applies and who's interested in joining GIA? Yeah. We, we finally in this third year, uh, have hit that point where we can start to recruit on act on technologies. And again, that was a combination of 2014 and 15 being a little slower, not as many startups chasing down opportunities. And also to we're new. Um, there's a whole lot of people that don't know about us yet. So it's a combination of those things coming together in this third year allowed us to go and actively look for some technologies that we are, are seeking. And I, for anybody listening, if I may, just a plug, you know, cybersecurity is a huge one. Um, my challenge is by the time a cybersecurity company gets any sort of press where I may have heard about them, it's because they raised you know, $800 million or something <laughs> right. ridiculous. So I'm, I'm, I'm combing the, the, the country for probably what is probably an academic group that's built something on cybersecurity and is looking for a market. Uh, Cause I can, I can provide the market, but you know, finding the cybersecurity solutions out there is a challenge. Uh, same goes for fraud. You know, you think about the components of an insurance company, the underwriting, the claims process. Uh, fraud is unfortunately a big part of, of the insurance world and they're doing their part to try to combat that because that makes rates go up for all of us. Fraud is a bad thing. So even with the fraud or cybersecurity, if uh, if somebody has it sounds like somebody has the technology and an interesting idea, 
they don't necessarily have to be focused and have a product built necessarily strictly for the insurance company at the point they talk to you as long as they have the mm-hmm. the backbone of the technology you guys can help right okay yeah i i would argue that's that's almost ideal because i can provide the most value and because how, of the connections to the industry and, and how so do you know you bring it, you bring the product i'll bring the customer <laughs> hey that sounds like a pretty sweet deal so how right. how do you know with the cybersecurity? uh you know, that it's actually interesting technology. Like, would you have some of your portfolio, your investors review it, you know, some of their security experts? Because there's tons of cybersecurity out there or companies. But, uh, you know, how do you know it's actually like a unique, interesting, strong yeah. idea? So I'll, I'll answer first. The, the board has told me it's much. I've had investors, insurance carry investors from my group say this is an area we're interested in. So I, I know there's a there's a demand for it on my side. Now, on the other side, when, and it is, cybersecurity is this really broad term. It's like me saying big data. It doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> right. it's, it's too broad to even get into the weeds. But hopefully I've cast a wide enough net that your listeners uh, maybe make a connection. So on, on something like that, we, we would just assess it um, as we would an, an applicant, whether they're applying for the cohort or if someone were to reach out to me literally today, even though our cohort is well underway and we've got the selections made, uh, I view myself as a conduit between these insurance carriers and the startup world. So I'm not promising to your audience I can drop names and make introductions, but certainly things that are interesting, I put that in front of my carriers year-round to get their feedback on if that solves a problem for them or not. Gotcha. So I, I don't, yeah, I yeah. don't have, you know, one thing that's challenging is to draw really, really specific needs. You know, let's, let's go build this product. I don't, I think that's more of an IT function. And, and while, if a startup meets that IT function, that's still a winner. But we're not we're not trying to, to name specific things, at least at this point, um, that we're trying to solve. We're trying to keep it broad enough that the innovation hopefully bubbles to the top, and we see new ideas. Um, do you see the difference there? Yeah. Right? The, yeah. The one side, yeah. Of the, yeah. The one side of the coin is, hey, this is a new idea. We never thought about this. This is fascinating. Let's invest in this. Versus, uh, oh yeah, that that's still innovative, but that definitely um, solved the problem. You know, so a to go back and pick on insurance social media, still innovation, but solved a very specific problem. You know, it's one reason they've seen the traction they've seen. Their sales cycles have dramatically decreased because they're solving a very specific, you know, named problem. So you, you contrast that something that's a little bit more conceptual. Uh, one of our companies was called Tiki, and uh, they're they had a, a longer road, frankly, because some of what they were selling in the early days was conceptual. Now they've, they've come a long way and they've secured several pilots and they're, I'd like to think they're, they're going to survive mm-hmm. the, the startup grind and, and emerge successful. But you know, there's a contrast there between those two different types of companies. Interesting. Okay. All right. We're almost out of time, but I have one last question for you. And this is uh, more around kind of the emotional side of a life. And uh, I'm curious how, you know, you've kind of dealt with the ups and downs uh, in your careers, and then how do you pass it on to your portfolio companies? Because you know, some days you feel like you're probably, um, you know, flying to the moon, and the next day you feel like you're you're drowning. <laughs> and and uh, mm-hmm. so, how do how do you uh, tell folks, and how how have you dealt with that in your career? Yeah, yeah. Well, two tactical things that that I do is is you look ahead of you and look behind you. Uh, if, you, if you're working hard and you're accomplishing things, there will always be a trail behind you of good things. So the, the minute you're down because you're looking ahead, something happened in the present, stop, pause, and reflect on what you've accomplished thus far. 
and you got that far for a reason and you were able to do things for a reason, try to center back on those and take the next step. Uh, the other tactical thing is surround yourself with people that you want to be around and that will encourage you and give you great advice. One thing we tell our mentors, a part of our mentor training, is to drop your Iowa nice. I think we can we can largely just say drop your Midwest nice uh, for the purposes of your the Midwest audience here that you might have. And and the idea there is if no one advances or succeeds, if everybody is so nice that they don't tell you the real feedback, and you you need those people that will be very authentic with you and very real to give you the feedback that you need, not just the pat on the back like that sounds great, Brian. Good luck. I need someone to kick my butt and be like, no, you really didn't do that well. Uh, here's what you should have done differently. Hmm. So those those are two things yeah. uh, that that I try to encourage people to, and, and they're simple. These aren't these aren't rocket science. These are simple things that anybody can do because it is a total roller coaster. And we actually stress that to our mentors as well is that this is an emotional ride, and you as a mentor need to be there to help keep them even on the high days, keep them grounded on the low days, lift them back up. That's good. That's good. Okay. Well, I think that's a good way to end this podcast. And Brian, definitely appreciate your time and your thoughts. And it's been great uh, getting to know you and a little bit more about what you and GIA, GIA are doing. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is great. It's always good to share the message. And I appreciate getting to know you better. Thank you. Definitely. And thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Flyer Labs. As always, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next time. Bye, guys. Bye, Brian.